Well, happy Sunday. Today, we're going to finish the story about Noah and his boat. And uh, if you were here last week and didn't get scared and run off, then, uh, then you're ready for this week. Um, if not, we briefly talked about the reasons for the decreation event and uh, got a little more into it and talked about uh, the severity of, of what was going on on earth and um, how it differs in severity from like our Sunday school stories that we hear. So, so as, as we've been going through um, last week, we talked about how we're, we're kicking off this Sunday school, the rest of the story series, where we're going to look at these stories that we get in Sunday school and kind of dig dive into them a little bit and figure out uh, what all is going on in these stories because we get a very uh, interesting view as a child when we're in Sunday school. Um, example is the picture of Noah and his boat there that's on there. And when I think of the story of Noah now, I don't really think of the rainbow happy animal arc. And uh, so we're just going to kind of dig into it. I had a few questions after last week. Um, a couple of people came up and talked to me. First thing they wanted to know is a little bit more about worldview. I talked about cos- cosmology last week, and, uh, and I didn't really explain the worldview thing. And if you look up worldview and you try to determine what someone's worldview is and how you would define a worldview, everybody has their own answers for this. And everybody has, like, these things make up someone's worldview. But how I saw it that I liked one time was not necessarily this is how I define worldview, but what does a worldview actually have to answer? So this makes more sense to me because we can each, each of us have a worldview, right? We talked about how when we look at the Bible and we read the Bible, we need to read the Bible with the worldview that it was written to. And um, then people start thinking about their own worldviews and like, how do you, what is that worldview? And so there was a, there was a teaching I had listened to that approached it this way. A worldview, it's hard to define, but what is easier is to say a worldview needs to answer the following questions. And so the following questions that a worldview needs to answer, um, the first question is where are we? Who are we? What's wrong? What is the solution? And what time is it? Those are all things that if we look inside and we spend a little bit of time thinking we have our own answers for that. And those answers are painted by whatever it is that defines your worldview. So if I were to ask all of us, where are we? What would people reply? Some people would say we're in church. Some people would say we're in Kalkaska. We could all agree on those things. We could say that we're, we're all on earth, what we call earth. Um, That's really the easy one. Where are we is typically easy. Who are we? Or who am I on a personal? Now, this is where it starts to differ. How do we see who we are and our role? Really, it's it's, it's about who we are in the span of all of us. And who are we? This is where it starts getting, like, existential, right? This is where, like... Who are we? How would someone answer that? Okay. 
So the mom plays in. Anybody else? People of God? I, there's, there's no wrong answers to this. It's how, it's how you view yourself and what you, each of us has our own differing worldview. But I would say that, yeah, uh, how, this is how we view ourselves and how we view ourselves as a whole. Maybe how, so you could, you could, the church group, a group of American citizens, a group of the, like, who are we in the world? What are humans in the world? This is what it comes down to. And um, if, you, if you walk outside of this, in this building, I think we would have different, differing ideas on this. I don't think all of us would be cookie cutter. I think there'd be a lot of similarities. Um, but it'd be different. And then if, if we walked across the hotel right now and we, we asked a couple of people over there, who are we? I think you're going to get a lot of different views. And so you begin, when you, when you start looking at this, hopefully it gets you thinking about like, what is impacting your worldview? What's impacting your worldview? What is it? that you've aligned in your mind that you consider truth that paints your worldview. And I think that's, that's where we all differ. We have different things that we're, that we're looking at, and some might be a mix of things, whereas some people might be less of one and more of the other. Uh, the next question a worldview needs to answer is, what's wrong? And this is the one that I wanted to focus on, because as we go through these early chapters of Genesis, that's really what the Bible is trying to convey, is what's wrong. Um, so if I were to ask us what's wrong, what's wrong with the world? What's the problem in the world? Um, again, people are going to have different ideas. I think in here in this room, a lot of our ideas are going to be similar, but if we were to go ask other people, um, you'd get different things. I think if you were to walk up on the street and talk to people, what's wrong? You might have somebody that says, oh, the world is full of sin. You might have someone that says it's those stupid Republicans. I think you'll have someone that's those stupid Democrats. I think you're going to get, there's going to be, it's going to be focused on what their worldview is. So what's wrong? That's what your, your worldview answers that. And then this is another one that we're going to differ from the world. This is, this is kind of the point. What is the solution to what's wrong? Who's going to fix the problem? Everybody in the world knows the earth has problems, right? The world has problems. People have problems. This is, so that's the difference. So you can see that as we flesh this out, all of these things are, are, are dependent on what our worldview is. And that's how we're going to relate to things. That's how we're going to view things. What time is it? Where are we at in time? I think a lot of us probably feel we're at the end of time. Some people might not feel that way. But something inside of you is giving you the ideas of where we are in time. And that's your worldview. What is, it, what is it in your worldview? And so I think that this is, this is important to look at as we look into these very, very old stories that are, that are there for you to help you align your worldview to answer these questions. Starting from Genesis 1, going to Genesis 11. And uh, when you start getting into the solution, then you're into Genesis 12 and beyond. But I, I think these are, good, these are good questions with worldview. Everybody, there's just so much mumble-jumble about what's in a worldview. But I, I think this is good. I think this is a good starting point when you're trying to identify what your worldview is. 
where are you getting it from? The answer to these questions. Kind of be fun to write it all down and compare where everybody's at just for fun. So again, Genesis 1 through 11 is focusing on what's wrong. So um, I would say that most of the evangelical American church usually thinks it's just problem one. We stop at problem one. That's kind of where we're at. Problem one is Genesis 3, the entrance of sin and death, and that serpent to being. I think that's where we stop normally we, because we, just, we don't delve into the rest of Genesis 1 through 11. We, um, that's it. Just we're full of sin. The issue is just sin. But if I were to read the New Testament... I would look at what Jesus was doing and then I would start reading the letters from Paul. There's a lot more in it that's, that they seem to be addressing and Jesus is taking care of other than just the Genesis 3 fall of man. Does that make sense? The fall of man is of one thing that Genesis 1 through 11 is conveying. Um. I believe, um, from a lot of different scholars, that there's, there's basically three issues that happen in those, those chapters of Genesis. And um, the entrance of sin and death, we, did, we didn't do any teaching on creation. I didn't, you, you get into that, and you're, you're into weeks on that. Um, but we looked at the flood. People were really interested about the flood and what it means. And what, the, the reason the flood is in there is it's, It's not just so that the Bible has a flood story too, because other religions have their flood stories. It's in there because you are getting, you're getting Yahweh's version of what happened during the flood. You're getting Yahweh's version of why there was a decreation event. Um, If you look at other religions with their floods, uh, some of them it's as simple as the gods were on the earth and they were getting sick of listening to all the whiny humans and humans were not doing what they were supposed to be doing. So the humans needed to be destroyed. And so the pantheon, whether you're, you know, Sumerian, the Canaanites, the different people with the, the flood creation events, it's usually the annoyance of the gods with the humans, but usually there's like a rebel God who comes and he, he grabs these people and he gets them into a boat and sends them off so that not everything is destroyed. So that exists in other religions. That's a story that's well known, well known throughout the, the ancient Near East world. But, but where it's at, and, and the Bible's not borrowing any of that. The Bible is saying this is what happened. This is the real deal. This is why creator God did what he did. And uh, so that's how you get into the, you, you start seeing some of the weird stuff. The Bible tale also has the giants and these demigods that are portrayed in those early chapters, and that's all in all the other religions too, that all that stuff exists. Um, but if you follow Jewish thought, the idea, and this is, again, this is speculation, but with the flood, when the flood destroys those giants, those renowned, the Nephilim, the, the people of renown, uh, Jewish thought is that's where demons come from. And so before that, you didn't really have demons. You had spiritual beings, obviously, because the spiritual beings are coming down with the women. You have the serpent in the garden. We know about that spiritual being. That's already been exposed to us. So, so they're saying, we had sin before, 
and we knew that sin was on the rise. We read the story of Lamech, Lamech in Genesis 4. But now you're entering in another spiritual component. You're, you're entering, now, now there's demons, and now we're dealing with demons. So this is the story of how demons got to be. The Bible doesn't focus much on it, because people back then knew what the story was. Um, so now you have this entered in. So, okay, all right. So Jesus is coming to fix the problems of Genesis 1 through 11. Okay, so now I understand why Jesus is not just forgiving people of sin. Jesus is dealing with demons. And so this is kind of how Genesis 1 through 11 works. It's setting up the problems of humanity so that when God has his rescue plan in place, that rescue plan takes care of the different issues. It will get to the Tower of Babylon in a couple weeks. We'll talk about that. And there's, there's something distinct there that happens too. And that's why Genesis 1 through 11, it, it stops with Babylon. It stops with the Tower of Babylon and, and you get the nations. Um, and it stops, and then you get right way into the rescue plan. Genesis 12, this is a dude named Abram, and what we're going to do with Abram, what God's going to do. And so that's kind of, just wanted to reemphasize, that's why we're going through Genesis 1 through 11, and that's why we, uh, it, it's good to deep dive into this, because it, it is setting up what, what Jesus takes care of. Jesus takes care of so much. And sometimes we just look at it as Jesus died for our sins to take care of the sin problem, and now everything is better. But yet at the same time, there's like this, we're, we're living in like, we don't, it, it doesn't make sense with what we see in our world. You know, there's that cognitive dissonance. We don't, there's so much stuff out there that's still going on, but Jesus took care of the sin problem. And it, it there's just more of what's going on. And that's why I think these chapters are in there. And they are weird chapters. They're interesting, interesting, interesting chapters. Um, so yeah. So just going into, those were the two questions I had. Uh, questions a little bit about the, you know, what happened to the Nephilim with the flood and then the worldview thing was what people asked me about. So we ended, we finished chapter six of Genesis last week. And we're going to get through the rest of this pretty quick this week because it it's just a narrative. We'll talk a little bit about the narrative, but it's, it's mainly just a narrative that is like, this is what happened. Um, and then we'll talk a little bit at the end. We'll look at similarities at the end um, and how we go from decreation to the recreation event. And so Genesis 7, and then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals the male and his mate, and a pair of animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. So that's interesting, because when you're, as a kid, the animals go in the ark two by two, and there's the song about the two by two animals. But, uh, so they are going in two by two, but a lot of people are like, the seven pairs, what's that mean? I didn't know about the seven pairs thing. And so people think, like, this isn't making sense, it's kind of going against each other. There's a lot of speculation on the seven pairs. Um, some people believe that there were animals taken on, again, this is all speculation, that were taken on as food for other animals. And some people think that the animals miraculously didn't eat for 100 and 
90 days or whatever it is. Um, who knows? I'm not going to speculate on the miracles of anything. I just think that um, it's interesting, the seven pairs of each clean animal and the seven pairs of the birds, something, they're communicating something with the, the number seven. The Bible does that often. But also that um, something else going on here. I'm not exactly sure what's going on with that. But it's different than Sunday school. Sunday school, they just, two of every animal goes in. Um, so, Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and of animals that are not clean, and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. So this is another thing that people like to speculate on. And the speculation on this normally is, um, do you notice it just kind of repeated itself after what I had just read? Just kind of repeated some of that same stuff. Some people believe that there are two writings of the flood, and they just kind of got imposed together when people were putting the Genesis scroll together. Um, so that's one thing on the, the repetition. As far as the waters bursting forth, um, the worldview back then was in the beginning when God separated the waters. It says that he, you know, the land was there to separate the waters. So you had water up there, you had water down below. And so they're talking about that water down below coming up. And now with you know, ground-penetrating radar and different things like that. We know that there are vast oceans underneath our Earth. So that's not too crazy to us, but to, to some people back then, the idea that you have these oceans underneath the Earth, that, that's kind of a crazy thing. Um, but they took, it as, they took it as that's what it was. So the idea is that the, the waters are being released, maybe some kind of cataclysm on the Earth, some kind of Earth-shaking event. All the waters gush up, and then... They, some people felt like there was waters up above too. And so the waters up above were now meeting again. So it is actually, it is literally the decreation of everything that was in Genesis 1, right? So Genesis 1, God makes the land come out to separate the waters. Genesis 7, now the waters are coming back together to get rid of the land. So it is, is that, that pattern, that idea. Um, and so then you get the rain, 40 days, 40 nights. On the same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. And they went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh in which there was the breath of life. And those that had entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. So here we go with more repetition within the same chapter. This idea that, that both accounts, if it was multiple accounts, and they wanted to make sure that all of it was there, we don't know, but there's a lot of repetition again. Uh, the use of the creeping things and the livestock and the winged birds, that's all language going right back to the creation story too. So they, that's what they're painting for you. Uh, the flood continued for 40 days on the earth. 
The waters increased and bore up, bore up the ark, and it rose high above the water, or high above the earth. The waters prevailed and greatly increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all of mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life, the Spirit of God, when the Spirit of God came into the living things, it's the Spirit of God withdrawing. Last week we talked about how Holy Spirit said he was not going to contend with man past the 120 years. This is the idea that the Holy Spirit is bringing life. This is the idea that the Holy Spirit is removing. That's the, the breath goes out. Uh, he blotted every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth for 150 days. So you have 40 days of the crazy waters coming. And then you have 150 days that the waters are still high. 150 days. Um, <laughs> So theories on this, and it kind of depends on, on where you're at with it. There's a lot of different people with different ideas on this. Um, some people are sure this is just a global event, flat out, entire world. says it's up past all the mountains, so therefore it's a global thing. Uh, there are some people that believe it when they read it, that it's just the known world, that it was just that region. It'd be Mesopotamia and beyond um, where things were. Some people believe it's more regional, so it'd be like the Tigris-Euphrates area and the area of the Black Sea, and there was just a large flood there, and it wiped out what was Earth civilization at the time. Um, and then there's other people that believe, they believe that it's just a local thing that went up and down the Tigris and Euphrates River. And uh, I don't really care, one way or the other, where people are at with that. Um, their arguments, for example, when it says it covers the whole world or cover, covers all the land, we say things like that too. Like, yeah, who's going? All of us. You know, well, what's all of us mean? That type of thing. So, for example, like in Genesis, it's like when, when, Joseph, when Joseph is feeding, the, the Bible says all the world came to Joseph for food. Really? Like all the world? All the people of the world? Is that exactly what it means? Or does it just mean... Everybody around there that was part of their world came. You know, did, did, the, did the Inuits come down to get food from Joseph? We don't know. But that's what all the world means if we take it like literally like that. So people are back and forth on this. Um, there's a flood. I believe there's a flood. I don't know. There seems to be a lot of evidence of flooding all over the world. But... Who knows? It's not something that I'm worried about. I do believe that there was a flood. So when it talks about that, this is kind of people's different feelings on it. Genesis 8. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. So I'll pause there for a second. Again, language taken right out of Genesis 1. The Holy Spirit's hovering over the waters. Then the Holy Spirit is rushing over the waters and creating, bringing the land up. So it is, it is the recreation. It's to bring us right back there to think about that again. And this is, this is part two. This is earth part two. 
And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the water had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the 10th month. And in the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. Um, the water's going down, was going down slowly. And at the end of 40 days, and here we get that repetition thing again, where they're going to say some of the same stuff again. And at the end of the 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out from the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him anymore. So um, that's where we get our symbol of the dove with an olive branch in his mouth for peace on the world. There's a lot of world organizations that use that as their logo. And uh, we think of the dove now, and we think of peace because they were using that, uh, you know, worldwide. Um, so that's where that comes from. And uh, there are other stories in the ancient Near East of the flood that also have the person in the boat sending out birds. Um, not exactly like this, but they send forth, send forth the same birds. So this was something that was in their mind back then. Those birds had meaning. Um, it's repeated. So... We'll move on. In the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked. And behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the, seven month, in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife, and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you on, of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his son's wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves, out on, moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. So again, it's, it's the, the mandate of God to go and multiply. Um, same thing from Genesis. Genesis 1, Genesis 1 and 2. And so they even go through, their, they list the different classifications of what God created on the different days there. Um, and the idea that they go out by families from the ark. And then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. So some people believe that this is the point that the earth received its seasons. I don't know if there were seasons before, but they believe that this is after the flood, the, the earth had dynamically changed. 
And of course, you've got some people, again, I always say the Bible's not trying to be a science book, but there's a lot of people that try to, try to come into it and in, in with conjecture. And one of their conjectures is that the, the, the axis of the earth was different pre-flood, and then as everything burst in whatever cataclysm brought all the rain and the weight, then the earth tilted so that now that it is what it is and we have seasons, that's kind of where they're at with it. Um, I don't know. We'll figure that out someday. But that's where people go with the verse at the end. Um, before that, they kind of think the earth was just this place of equilibrium and everywhere, everywhere was good to live. Um, yeah, so that's where they, they go with it. Moving on to Genesis 9, and we won't, get, we won't do all of Genesis 9. Uh, and God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all of the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And I will give you, and as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. So what, what God is doing here again is he's just emphasizing man is over nature, that whole stewardship thing we were supposed to take care of. But in addition to that, he's saying, remember that life is precious. Whereas before, we don't really read that in Genesis, that, that you know, because that wasn't a thought right? During the creation event, there was no sin had entered in. But now he's making it clear, the life of man is precious. And this is the first, one of the first times that you really, you get that command. Um, so he goes on to say, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And um, there's that emphasis there, that, that the life of man is precious. And that's why, like, if you had an animal that killed a man back, you were to destroy the animal. We still kind of do that. I mean, sometimes if, if you have a dog that gets out and goes after somebody, on our books, we're supposed to take the dog and destroy the dog. So some of that stuff is still around. And man is supposed to not shed the blood of man. Remember, that's the violence that preceded the flood. Just like this is a reminder. Um, and you, talking to man, be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. It's that Genesis mandate, again, the Eden mandate. And God said to Noah and his sons with him, Behold, I will establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. So this is, at this point, we're getting, they call it the, the Noahic covenant. Um, you're getting God's first, like, we're, I'm going to deal with man. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make you, make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. 
and the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. And when the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and I will remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. And so that's our, the rainbow. So we can go back to our Noah picture with the happy animals in the boat and the rainbow over top of it. And everybody's nurseries that were all decorated with the Noah stuff and the, the symbols. And of course the dove, usually, usually the dove has the olive leaf and it's like centered kind of right with the rainbow in all the pictures. It seems to be the typical thing. And uh, it's the idea of the rainbow and that was the context of the rainbow for many, many, many years. And now the context of the rainbow is diminished. Um, so that kind of finishes the Genesis story. There is an incident that occurs after this. that I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. But basically, humanity, the same people that listened to God, got in the boat, did everything they were supposed to do, get out of the boat, and get very dysfunctional. And uh, yeah, so... A lot of scholars have different opinions on that, which is why I'm not going into that, because that would be a while. But if you like the story of Noah and you like the ark, there is now a cool place in Kentucky. It's been out for a few years. My son went there a couple years back. Um, but you can go and visit a life-size replica of what they believe the ark looked like. And they have stuff inside it. I believe they've got like a bunch of taxidermy, but I think there's like animatronic stuff in there. And you can kind of, it's, it's a pretty cool place. A lot of the people that go there really like it. A lot of non-Christians go there because it's just cool, cool place to visit. Um, I have not been there yet. I would like to go there. And when I go in there, it'll be a much happier ark than probably. I think about Noah. He's sitting in this ark, probably getting stir crazy. And then that's, that's not like not even, not even dealing with like the traumatic event that he just experienced. Like everything he knew in his life for 480 years the animals, his friends, the stuff he helped to build, I'm sure. Like, it was gone. It was just gone. And uh, I can't even imagine what Noah was going through with that. We kind of get this idea that the Sunday school books, I don't know where it came from, but they always had, like, you always started the Noah story, where he gets the mission from God, and then people come by to make fun of Noah. And I don't know where that, I, I think there's, like, references in the Bible of people scoffing at the time of Noah, maybe. I think I, I think I read that, but I kind of, that was never in the story. It was never in Genesis six, seven, eight, or nine. So I don't know where that came from. I think that Noah was probably friends with a lot of these people, but they were so involved in the lust of their flesh that this was not an opportunity that they were going to take. Um, yeah, I feel bad for Noah. That's rough. Like literally everything. So it is the Bible story of Noah the non-Sunday school version. And so next week we'll do something for Mother's Day, but then the following week I do want to get on the Tower of Babel because there's a lot, there's a lot there. Um, and a lot that happens there that will set us up for Abram because a lot of people checked off the Abraham stories. And so we'll get going on that. So through all of this, hopefully you learned more about Noah and his boat. And it makes more sense than the than two pages we get um, an interesting thing, real quick, that when I was doing research, there's a lot of people in the scholarly world, languages borrow from other languages, and sometimes it's tough to, to translate those words that are borrowed from another language. 
And there are some people that suspect that there's actually a chance that, that the boat was actually made of reeds based on an Acadian word that it looks like was just borrowed. Um, we, we have the gopher wood. And uh, it's an interesting thought because you also, then you get, you get a repetition of that at the beginning of Exodus with Moses being laid in a bed of reeds on chaotic waters to eventually lead his people to safety. So it's that, that repetition, that cycle, that theme that God has and seeing that repeated. Um, yeah, we'll leave it there. So Lord, we thank you. We thank you for being a creator God. We thank you for having a plan. We thank you for entering into covenant with us. And Lord, the, the many covenants that have come through the ages and you've been faithful to every one. And you are still faithful to the final covenant. And Lord, we just praise you for your faithfulness. We praise you for your mercy. And we thank you for your patience. We love you. Just be with us throughout this week. As we go out, let us leave earth more like heaven than it was before. Let us follow that mandate to subdue and bring Eden. We thank you for partnering with us, Lord. We love you. We thank you for all of this. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.